we are wrapping up John, John 17. So uh, it's been an incredible week. I told my wife last night, I said, well, this is the first time in my life I'm actually going to start and finish a sermon a couple hours yesterday because of all the events that have happened this week. So let's see what happens today. I'm just as excited as you are to see what God does with this passage. So we are looking at John 17, and we're going to look at verses 24 through 26. This is our last in the series. Uh, here's how we're going to get started here. The Nazis murdered more than one million children, over one million children. Um, Philip Haley, he's the author of Lest Innocent Blood Be Shed, he wrote the following. The village of Les Chambon was the safest place for children on the continent of Europe during the war years. This French village consisted of 3,000 impoverished Huguenots. You know what a Huguenot is? I love this because it's of our tradition. These are, these are French Calvinists that had descended from John Calvin and his gospel recovery on that continent. Uh, the pastor of the village was a guy named Andre Takmi, and he was a descendant of one of Calvin's original personal apprentices. Isn't that incredible? So Calvin, he apprenticed all these pastors all the time, and he was constantly sending them out with the gospel all over Europe. And they knew, most of them, and Calvin knew, and he wept while he sent them away, that most of them would not live beyond a year or two years because they would be persecuted and killed. Well, one of the original actually goes to this part of France, and this guy, this pastor of this small village, is a descendant of one of Calvin's original pastoral uh, apprentices. These 3,000 impoverished Calvinists saved the lives of more than 5,000 Jewish children right under the nose of a division of Nazi SS troops. Haley's book is all about the four-year rescue operation of this village, four years of, of German occupation in France. So it gives me a whole new perspective even on D-Day, right? Amidst German occupation. Haley was speaking in an engagement in Minneapolis about his book and the events that he had recorded. Uh, and at the end of his lecture, he started taking questions. And a woman uh, stood up, and she said, well, you have been speaking about the village that saved the lives of three of my children. And the audience was like stone silent. And she continued, and she said, the Holocaust was storm. It was lightning. It was thunder. It was wind and rain, yes. And Lay Chambon was the rainbow. The rainbow. Life, um, life is a storm. It's lightning and it's thunder and it's wind and it's rain. Where's the rainbow? You need the rainbow. I need the rainbow. Where is the rainbow? Please stand for the hearing of God's word, John 17, 24 through 26. Father, I desire that they also, 
whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because, pardon me, let me just start over, I'm sorry. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have, with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Oh Lord, we thank you. We thank you that there is a rainbow and we ask that you would um, shine the beautiful multi-spectrum colors of that rainbow into our hearts, even now. By the power of your spirit, a divine event. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Okay, John 17 is about the meaning of life. We've, we've looked at that, right? Do you want to touch reality? Do you want the meaning of life? Are you lost in the chaos of your life? Now remember, there's, there's two types of chaos, and the Bible is really, really descriptive. Chaos is like way creation, the uncreated chaotic mass before God created it. When God hovered, he hovered over chaos and created order and life and meaning, and he put meaning into life. And so if you're running through your life and you start, you do, you want to, you're looking at the inside of your life and you're like, it's just chaotic. That's a very good description that the Bible wants to give you about your inner person. It is chaotic. And the Bible also wants to give you a, an outer description of the, the world outside us and how it comes at us. So there's stuff inside us that comes out of us. There's stuff outside of us that comes at us. It's all chaos. It's all chaos. Is that where you are right now? John 17 is the rainbow. What's the rainbow? It's the rainbow in the storm of life. Now, some of you this morning feel like Philip Haley did. Do you know that he studied Hitler's 12-year reign of terror for years and years, and he says that as he studied it, he kept going deeper and darker into the abyss. He said this, across all these studies, the pattern of the strong crushing the weak kept repeating itself and repeating itself so that when I was not bitterly angry, I was bored at the repetition of the pattern of persecution. The strong crushing the weak. The strong crushing the weak. He studied and studied and studied, and he's just like, where's the justice? Then he said, my study of evil incarnate had become a prison whose bars were my bitterness toward the violent and whose walls were my horrified indifference at how I started becoming indifferent to slow murder. Then he went on and said, reading about the damned, I was damned myself. As damned as the murderer, somehow over the years I had dug myself into hell. And I had forgotten redemption. I had forgotten the possibility of escape. Are you at a place where you have dug yourself to where you've actually forgotten that there's a rainbow? Have you dug yourself into such a place that you've forgotten there's a redemption? 
Have you forgotten there's a place of escape? Some of you this morning will feel like Sam Rima, and I read about him the other day. He's a longtime pastor and author of this, this book called The Dark Side of Leadership. One day he exploded and he said, I quit, I'm done, I'm through. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do this anymore, he said. No matter what I do, how hard I work, it's never the right thing and it's never good enough. I just can't please everyone. He says, over the years, this is still his quote, I have worked hard but never hard enough. I have counseled but never with enough compassion. We have socialized and shared but never with enough people. Sure, the church has grown but not fast enough or well enough according to my internal standards. I can't work hard enough to meet the expectations. I constantly feel pressing in on me. And his wife just starts blinking because he does this in the car. He explodes in the car. She doesn't know what's happening. It's out of nowhere, she says. But he says it's been building for 15 years. And then he goes on and he says, without warning, my previously well-ordered inner world reeled out of control. The tears gushed uncontrollably, and I felt completely lost. I simply could not think clearly or regain my inner balance. It was as if huge, it was as if a, no, notice his description. It was as if a huge, ominous, dark cloud covered me, and for the first time in my life, I had no hope. This is a preacher of the gospel. Are you tired in the core of your being? Deep fatigue. Do you feel no hope? There's a rainbow. There's a rainbow for you. Perhaps you feel this morning like what Henry Nguyen documents in his book, In the Name of Jesus, which is a reflection on Christian leadership. He says, beneath all the accomplishments of our time, there is a deep current of despair. He continues, while efficiency and control are the great aspirations of our society, what we're sending our kids off to participate in, right? The loneliness, the isolation, the lack of friendship and intimacy, broken relationships, boredom, feelings of emptiness and depression, and a deep sense of uselessness fills the hearts of millions of people today. No one says the cry behind it all is this, is there anybody that loves me? Is there anybody who really cares? And I'm still quoting from him. Is there anybody that's willing to stay home for me? Is there anybody who wants to be with me when I'm not in control, when I feel like crying? Is there anybody who can hold me and tell me I belong? Do you feel unloved in the core of your being? Is the cry, the cry for love, what drives you in your driven life? Is the cry of love what drives you in your pursuits of escape? There is a rainbow. There is a rainbow, and it's in John 17. What's the rainbow? Verse 26, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. What's the rainbow? It's the big idea of John 17 that we've been unpacking now for, I think, is it six sermons here? It's knowing God, right? Knowing God. And I know that sounds like, ooh, wow, Jeff. 
knowing God. And remember, we put some, some clothing on what knowing God looks like, and we said it, it's, it's, it's being an intelligent mystic. It's having clarity in your mind about who God is, and it's having a realness of who he is in your heart. It's an intelligent mysticism. It's a mind and the heart. They're not enemies. They're not separated. They're friends. And as you and I get more understanding and clarity in our minds, as the Puritans would say, God, shine on the page. And that becomes real to our hearts. You enter into and you experience the meaning of life. You genuinely know God. But notice it continues here. You specifically come to know God. You see, I made it known to them. There's a beginning point. But notice he says, I will continue to make it known to them. Oh, if you thought you were done when you became a Christian, if you thought that that's, he's telling us what the meaning of life is. The meaning of life from beginning to end. The meaning of life is the, the reality of God. And the meaning of life is actually entering into a relationship and knowing him on a continual, ongoing Friendship. And then notice what happens. Specifically, you start knowing that God loves you. Here it is. And you're not going to believe me when I say it because I didn't. And if you do believe it, you're a liar. Specifically knowing God loves you with the same kind of love he has for Jesus. Did you get that? The meaning of life boils down to knowing God and specifically you and I knowing that God loves us with the same kind of love he has for Jesus. There's not one kind of love for Jesus and one kind of love for you and me. There's one love, Jesus and us. Now think about that. Don't let that just go. I know many of us in the room right now, because I did it, I said, impossible, no way. That sounds nice. It might preach, Jeff. <laughs> it preaches, but it don't walk. It can't be real. It's not in touch with reality. Some of us are thinking, listen, I've been a Christian my whole life, and I've never felt that kind of same kind of love that he has for Jesus for me. What good is it that I've never felt it? Some of you are thinking. Others of you are thinking, look, it sounds too good to be true. I'm not good enough to receive that kind of love. And then others of us are saying, I want to believe it. I want to believe it. I desperately want to believe it. I just can't. God says to you and God says to me in this passage, you know what he says? He says, I know it's hard for you to feel loved by me. Feelings can be a barrier to you and I knowing God. Did you know that? Your feelings and my feelings can actually block and be a barrier to us experiencing what this passage talks about. Remember the great Puritan Richard Sibbs. I quoted him a couple weeks ago. Remember he said, God's love is the sun, and it always shines no matter, no matter when it's night and no matter when it's a stormy day. He says, your feelings are like clouds that block out the sun. But the sun is always shining. Here's the quote. Measure not God's love and favor by your own feeling, 
The sun shines as clearly in the darkest days as it does in the brightest. The difference is not in the sun, but in some clouds which hinder the manifestation of the light thereof. Wonderful English. Our feelings can be a cloud. Did you know that? Your feelings can be a cloud. Why? Because our feelings are affected by our circumstances. Our feelings are affected by other people. Our feelings are actually affected by how we think about things, how we interpret reality. So we come along and we say, this is true, and our feelings go, okay. People do something to us, and we feel. Circumstances happen to us, we feel. And now what our feelings do is our feelings make these bold assertions, these bold claims of reality, and they, our feelings say, this is true, and this is not true. Like, for example, and I wrote one down here. If we think we are better than others because we're more disciplined and more moral, do you know what happens if we think that way? we actually feel more loved by God. And we feel those that don't have the same discipline or moral standards that they're less loved by God. Now, is this reality? Our feelings say so. After the disciples had freaked out in the storm, Jesus went up to them and he said, listen, did you believe in your feelings of fear more than me? Your feelings can be a cloud that block out the sun from you experiencing God's love. Feelings are not God's word. Your feelings are not God's word. God's word says, I love you with the same kind of love that I love Jesus. Feel that. Get your emotions around that. If your emotions aren't around that, your emotions aren't true. They're sabotaging you. And you need, and I need, more clarity in our mind. And we need God to take his spirit and make it real to our hearts. But it's not going to happen apart from truth. If you're going to sit here and say, I just, I just don't experience God's love. Okay, what are you feeling? I just don't feel like God loves me. Okay, what does God's word say? And specifically, what does it say in the gospel? Which one's true, the gospel or your feelings? All right, others of us, we need God to say in this passage this, relax. <laughs> it's not up to you to know God and feel God. It's not about your performance at all. It's not about how many quiet times you have and how you pray and the specific prayers you pray. It's not about your fasting from chocolate or ice cream. It's not about your avoiding sin or tattoos or people that do. It's not about any of that. Jesus says, I'm the one who makes God known to you. I'm the one who makes his love to you. You don't. I do. Where is that said? Verse 26. I may know to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Knowing God and his love is always by grace. Never by our performance. Never by performance. I should say it this way. Never by our performance. It's by the performance of another. 
So it's not about your bad performance or your good one. And, and here's the issue. If that offends you, I'm here to tell you you need to be offended. Because your performance is getting in the way of you knowing God's love. When you look at the Bible, the first people that get God's love are those that have a bad, bad performance. The last people that get God are the ones that have a good one. Now listen, if you're offended, I'm offended too because I'm, I'm one of those good guys. I'm one of the good guys. I've always had a good performance, right? Well, I think so anyway. <laughs> my wife might think different. My kids might think different. But the point is, here's the point. It's not about a performance. It's about the grace of God. God loves you. You know God by grace, not by your performance. All right, God also says to you and me in this passage, receive my love for you. It's better than you even think. What? Okay. How is it better? Look at verse 24. Jesus wants you to see his glory. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory. Do you see that? Look at verse 24. He's saying, Father, I desire. It's Jesus' desire. He wants you to know God. He wants you to know God's love and the depth of your being. He wants you to have clarity about who God is. He wants you to know in the, the deep recesses of your soul that you are loved by him and secure in that love and established in that love. Confirmed is it, Peter will say. Strengthened in it, Paul will say. That it dwells richly in you, that they all say. Jesus wants that for you. He's praying for it. This is the passage of the king. The passion of the king is that you know God and that you know his love for you. So do you desire to know God and feel God's love? Jesus desires it more for you. Receive that love. Do you wonder if anyone cares about your loneliness, about your feelings of being unloved, unwelcome, rejected, whatever it is? Jesus does more. Receive that kind of love. Uh, do you have no desire to know God and his love? None. Jesus has that desire for you. Receive that kind of love. Receive my love for you. It's even better than you think. Well, how is it better? Look at verse 24. Father, I desire that they also see my glory. Now, glory, again, this is glory, packed in glory. The ultimate glory is what? Eternal life. The ultimate glory is when, when Jesus, in his life and his death and his resurrection, when he was resurrected, God said, glory. God gave you glory. God gave Jesus glory. He took the kingdom of God. It was all on his shoulders from the beginning to the end. He carried the kingdom of God on him and through his whole life, while he obeyed, the kingdom of God went forward. While he resisted sin, the kingdom of God went forward. When he died on the cross, the kingdom of God exploded. When he rose from the dead, the kingdom of God was unleashed. Glory. And the heart of it all. Now this is eternal life, Jesus says. Knowing God. That's the heart of it all. 
So verse 24, how is it better? Remember that God loves you with the same love he has for Jesus, all right? He says, Father, I desire that they also may see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Now remember, you have the same kind of love that God has for Jesus, he has for you. What did, what did, when did God start loving Jesus? Jesus says, he's loved me before. Well, when was that? Foundation of the world. Well, when was that? Before. No, no, seriously, when? I said before. Before. It's always been that way. You know what Paul says? He says, quote, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God loved Jesus before. God chose you in Jesus before. God's love for you is ancient. It's not new. God's love for you is before. When? When, God? When did you love me? Before. Well, when was that? Before. God didn't start loving you when you became a Christian. When Jesus died on the cross, it was not to get God to love you. Jesus went to the cross because God already did. It's an ancient love. It's an unending, unlimited, unbreakable love. It's ancient. What changed Philip Haley? It's fascinating. He tells us in his book, what saved him from the horror of the Holocaust? Now, this guy, he served in World War II. He, he, he said he killed Germans to set Jews free. So he knows war. He's not this detached guy that kind of studies on it and romanticizes about it and enters into the horrors of it. He was a part of it. He was a part of going across Europe to set, to defeat Hitler and his forces. Well, what changed him? What saved him from the horror of the Holocaust? You know what he said? The village of Le Chambon. Stories like he said a Nazi police captain screaming at the pastor of the village with the whole village out in this small 3,000-person village. Everyone's out in the town square, and you've got the Nazi SS captain right there, and you've got Pastor Andre Tokme, a descendant of one of the original followers of Calvin, and he's screaming at him. You deliver the filthy Jews to us right now or you and everyone that's helping them will be imprisoned and sent off and you know where they're going. And Philip Haley said he saw, this is when he's writing, as he took accounts of the eyewitness accounts, he said he saw the pastor say, no, we won't. And he said, I saw the pastor refuse to give up these people who had been strangers in his village, even at risk of his own destruction. Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see Jesus refusing to give you up? 
on the cross, even at his own destruction. Friends, there's the rainbow. <laughs>